Yes, this is Tradies, Mitch Cleary and Sam McClure. A final special. I'm finding myself tonight in the Melbourne studio. Sam McClure, not with me in person tonight. Samuel, it's the question that everyone wants to know. Where do we find you this Tuesday evening? Hello, Mitchell. Great to be here. Uh, hello and welcome to the Tradies listeners. It is weird hearing you start the podcast, I must admit. I was actually, um, I was at dinner. This is, we're recording on Tuesday night, as we always do. I was at dinner less than an hour ago, and I was just finishing. And I kid you not, I shit you not, word for word, someone I sort of saw him peering over in the corner of my eye, three or four metres away. He was just like leaving the restaurant. And he went, just quickly. That's how we started the conversation. Like I'm not even, I, I'm not putting 1% of mayo on that. And funnily enough, he's actually one of our original voice memo guys. What are the odds? Tim, he's the guy that um, voice memoed, I think, asking you about you end up answering about um, James Harms and his situation at, uh, at the D's, given that, you know, he only recently signed a, or relatively recently signed that five-year deal, and you went on to talk about him and, you know, potential link at Essendon and... Um, anyway, he worked as a chef at a couple of restaurants in Melbourne at Supernormal and Gimlet. And now working up in northern New South Wales as a chef slash uh, restaurateur slash entrepreneur. So Tim, you know, thanks for uh, thanks for giving us a shout out. I love the fact that he opened with just quickly. I love that, and I love that it's caught on even after his original voice memo. So you're telling us you've sorted out tradies off season trip to what northern New South Wales? Yeah, or if he still has some some contacts at Supernormal or Gimlet, you know, it could be as fun a trip. We just don't have to go as far. I want to go back to my original question. I've heard you do a lot of radio over the years and you don't let a guest get away with not answering a question. <laughs> you remember exactly what I asked off the top. Where are you? You still haven't answered that. No, I did. I'm in northern New South Wales. Right. So that he's there. I thought he was on holiday with you in this special resort. No, no, I'm not at, no one mentioned resort. I'm not at a resort. I was having dinner and he is working with a group that's opened some restaurants up here. So he's working. He lives here now. He lives in northern New South Wales and is a tradies listener from up here. That's cool. We're expanding outside of the, the natural footy markets. Forward to the day that, to the day we go international. That's, that's the day I'm hanging out for. I've actually had a few people from New York message, so g'day to those people that, that tune in at midnight Australian time when it drops. Sorry, apologies. I just got carried away with the background. It looks like you're uh, – you're staying in some sort of five-star setup in Bali or, or something like that. It looks very tropical behind you. Uh, it's all part of the it's all part of the ruse. It's all part of just you know manipulating you into a false sense of security of knowing where I am. Now, even though I'm not in the state of Victoria, I have been keeping abreast of uh, all my footy news. And someone messaged me a screenshot of the promo for Talking Finals, which is of course the new Channel Seven show. That is launching, I think, this time next week. Looks slick. One of the faces off. Yeah, one of the many faces. Uh, that's that promo looks pretty slick that they debuted over the weekend, heading into the last round of the season. So, so um, it's you're not on the whole time. You're just coming in with with news hits. Is that right? I believe so. Yes, yeah. so I'm a panelist, or a, sorry, a, a guest panelist at times. I'll come in for a little segment here and there throughout the show. And so it's JB, Tim Watson. Trent Cochin and Joel Selwood. They're the, the main four? Yep. Ten flags between them. And then you've got JB and I. And what time is the first episode on? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. That's a good question. You've caught me off guard. But That's it's, okay because uh, I'm sure because I've actually I've got the, the screenshot in front of you. Oh, you've asked – You've asked a question that you know the answer to. That's all right. It's still a week between now and the opening show. So we'll see where it, we'll see where it lands. 
So the Tuesday of the first week of finals, and then it'll go Wednesday for the remainder of the final series. So, you know, that times nicely with your tradies watching on a or listening on a Wednesday morning into talking finals for the last three weeks of finals on the Wednesday night. So we've got everyone sorted, Sam, for September. Mitch, we, uh, I, I, you know, I will always support you in all your endeavours. You know this. But I've warned you of this before. I will not have our podcast used <laughs> as a vehicle for you to cross-promote things at Channel 7. Because I don't do that. I don't do that for the great radio show that is Wide World of Sports that maintain good ratings today, nor do I do it about footy okay. classified. Okay, I'll take, I'll, I'll take note of how many days you're up there. What does the next few days look like? What does Sam McClure do to let his hair down in the last week of August? Very little. A lot of walking. Right. Um, and a lot of sitting a lot of sitting by a pool today. Actually, I spent two hours by the pool today going through North Melbourne's list, which it was just actually depressed me, quite frankly. It wasn't the best holiday reading. <laughs> I should have done something a bit happier. Um, which, by the way, we need to talk about your movie homework. Yep. Because I, I do have another movie for you. Uh, I don't reckon you would have seen it. Did you catch something on the flick on the on the plane up? We'll save it. We'll save it for later. We'll save okay. it just before we go. But I've got I've got a movie that you need to watch between now and me getting back. All right. Should we kick off with our whiteboard items? And there's no bigger name in footy right now with the dogs crashing out of the season than Bailey Smith. Where do you see this one headed? Because he had his exit meeting at the footy club today. All signs out of the Bulldogs and the word out of their camp is that he's likely to stay in Seattle's deal for 2024. But you told us on this show last week that. It was very much a watch this case. Where do you see the the scenario of Bailey Smith headed in the next six weeks between now and the end of trade period? Without deliberately avoiding the question, I I just don't think we know enough yet. Like There's articles being written daily about Bailey. Wow, that rhymed and I didn't mean it to. Um, Mm. There's articles being written all the time around things that aren't really based in fact. Now, we know he's, he's still got a contract for next year. We know that he's being played out of his normal position, which is in... You know, the, the midfield, it's a pure midfielder where he, he really bursts onto the scene, particularly in the finals of what, 2021, when they were in, in Perth. Um, he had his exit meeting, and, you know, of course the dogs are saying that he's a required player. I know that the CEO and the head of footy have both been on radio in the last week saying that, you know, we wouldn't entertain a trade for him. No one's ever going to say anything else when he's a contracted player who's been there for four years, who, you know, up until a short time ago was one of the most revered players in the competition, particularly for his age. And, and that's without even talking about the fact that a marketing machine. Yeah. So uh, I, for me, I, I'm, I'm just sitting back and watching. Like, let's let's see. Is, is he going to request a trade? All I can tell you from experience, Mitch, and we've talked about this many times on tradies, is that you've got to look at the players in the background. And when you've got Paul Connors and Robbie Durazio, his managers, one thing you know about those two guys is that their players are not going to request a trade unless they've done the background work and think that they can get a, a, a deal done. So I think that's one thing you can keep in mind, Mitch, with with Paul and Robbie, is that you know if there is anything going on in the background, they just won't do or say anything unless they're to a point down the road with not only another club, but also the current club, which is which at the moment is the Western Bulldogs. But the only time where that gets thrown out of the water, ironically we're talking about the same um, the, the same club, is when you have a situation like Jake Stringer where she hits the fan because of a disagreement between club and player. And it's like, well, you know, I'm just going to leave or we're just going to make you leave. And then everyone can pick up the pieces behind that. 
but I know you've been reporting on Bailey for the last few days, Mitch, so you might have some other stuff to to mention. But, I, I again, without deliberately trying to avoid it, I, I just think it's it's one of those ones where we, we're going to find out a little bit more in the next um, few days, but particularly now we know they're not playing finals. Yeah, obviously Geelong's been heavily linked to him. His personal sponsor of Cotton On is a key sponsor of Geelong, so there's always going to be that link. High-up people at Cotton On are Geelong fans. They're based in Geelong. They have very close dealings with Bailey Smith, who spends a lot of time at Cotton On head office. So that natural link will always be there. Those people are key people who are in the ears of those in the hierarchy at Geelong. So there's that obvious link where the Cotton On people are speaking to the Cats people on a regular basis, and that's where that comes up. I think Geelong will put the work into Bailey Smith, but more, unless it is to change, and unless he does, unless, as you in your words, shit hits the fan, I think it's more for the end of, of 24 when he does come out of contract. The other club we've spoken about in the last 48 hours is Hawthorne. Big Hawthorne fan as a junior, Bailey Smith um, would have loved to have been drafted there. They had other priorities at the time. Um I just watching the Hawks and I understand they've put a lot of work into him as well in the background, mostly through his management. So just a couple of clubs to keep an eye on. Geelong's been heavily linked, but yeah, I'm with you. I think everyone I've spoken to at the Bulldogs today being Tuesday when he had his exit was that he was very positive saying all the right things about working towards the preseason for 2024. But I go back to the Dane Beams one. It, it is still a long time between now and trade period ending that anything can happen. Now, I'm still of the view that I think Bailey Smith's more likely to be at the Bulldogs. I don't think he's necessarily going to put his hand up to request a trade, but in your words, shit can still hit the fan in the next six weeks. I think without without sounding disrespectful, and it's in no way, shape or form we were attempting to do this, but you and I made an agreement before we did this pod that we'd, we'd slice through a bit of the bullshit mm-hmm. when we were talking about it. I, I think what you have to remember here is that Whatever is said between now and the end of trade period is is just noise. It, it doesn't mean anything. All yep. that matters is what goes on in the trade period. So, you know, the Bulldogs saying that Bailey Smith's a required player. It's like you just got to remember they they cannot say anything else. So it, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. And I think it, as you get closer and closer into this period, it pays to listen a little bit more to the people that don't have um, a dog in the fight. Mm-hmm. Pardon the pun, than it does to the people who are, who are financially invested in it. Yeah, so Bailey Smith's camp is going to say nothing. The dogs are going to say he's contracted and we love him and we you know took him as a top ten player and why would we trade him? All those things are true to the people that are saying it. But if you're a Bulldogs fan or if you're just a fan that's interested in see um, where a player is going to go, and when we do nuts and bolts, I'll explain a little bit of how I was taught that lesson as well. I'm sure you've got umpteen examples as well, Mitch. But it just. It, it has been funny as we've been talking about player movement, you know, ever since March, and now that it's becoming part of the daily rhetoric a little bit more because half the competition are out of finals and we're getting ever so close, we're hearing more and more conversations. But um, yeah, just take everything with a grain of salt. I, I would say this time of year. And just one more layer on Bailey Smith. He watched on as a teammate of Josh Dunkley's when he was in contract asking for a trade of the Bulldogs, and the Dogs made that very difficult for Josh Dunkley. They, they kiboshed that at the last hurdle when he wanted to get to Essendon originally. So. If there is a club out there that's got history in this space in recent times, it's the Western Bulldogs, Sam Power, and their their list management team. That's one other factor I think that Bailey would be weighing up in his mind. Even if I was to ask for a trade, and I know you've spoken about the management side of things, I think the dogs would just make that a little bit extra hard because of his contract status. Harley Reid, you set the world on fire with this one a few months ago, or about a month ago when you spoke about his desire to 
stay in Melbourne if possible. West Coast has that number one pick. Are you still of the view that they trade that? Where do you see this one headed before I uh, just got a little subplot to the whole Harley Reid situation? No, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm – feel like people are going to think I'm deliberately avoiding stuff now. Um, oh. Like I don't have a whole heap to add, to be honest, Mitch. I think exactly the same about the whole situation as I did a number of weeks ago when I reported about it. It's been – been a weird couple of weeks because the number one pick and the destination has kind of seesawed, which I, we, none of us really saw coming, I reckon, even to the final um, final game. You know, like North Melbourne obviously um, beat the Suns on the weekend, but then West Coast weirdly were in this position to beat Adelaide as well until Adelaide put the foot down late. Um, so, yeah, it sounds like, and I've been, I've been reading and listening to a lot of the reporting the last 48 hours, uh, it, it, it sounds like that, that maybe West Coast had, had reached a view that they weren't going to take him either way. But but I, I don't really know where the truth lies in that. I, I'd always come come at the story from the player's perspective. perspective. So where, where are you on this? I'm of the view that they showed us last year with a Victorian who made noise behind the scenes in, in Sheasel and Wardlaw that they would have preferred or, you know, there was a concern around their future being interstate. I just look at that recent history of West Coast thinking they may well do the same. There's a few things to this. Firstly, the the compo with Ben Mackay. So if two becomes three, two and three for North Melbourne, that pushes Hawthorne back to four. I expect North Melbourne and Hawthorne to both chase that number one pick from West Coast. We won't know exactly who holds what until what happens with the Ben Mackay compo. And the word, again, out of North Melbourne today is that everyone is expecting him to request a move away from the club. Then what happens with Gold Coast pick? I think there's so many balls in the air right now that that West Coast can't really field official offers or or formal offers until everything behind that pick plays out. So I think Melbourne will come into the conversation as well, given they hold that pick from um, from Fremantle as part of the Jackson trade. Then you've got the Giants as well, just sort of sniffing around the market with the Hopper pick from Richmond. So yeah, I can't see this moving anytime in the next fortnight, and and we'll get any official word out of West Coast about trading that because of what falls behind that. The other factor in all this that I think goes a bit forgotten is with West Coast finishing last on the ladder, not only do they right now hold number one pick in the national draft, they've also got pick one in the preseason draft. So we're looking at guys like Devin Robertson, who shot to fame with the rip jumper at Brisbane, out of contract. The Eagles are chasing him. Hawthorne's Tyler Brockman. We've spoken a number of times on this show about him. Uh, Hawthorne hoping to hold him, but West Coast chasing him. I think Fremantle, I've got an interest in him to a degree too. So if either of those guys were to put their hand up to move to the Eagles, they've just got that added extra layer now of having them on pick in the preseason draft, which I think goes a little bit forgotten. Now, it's not always acted on. I know that. But clubs have pulled it in recent years. Jackson Haightley at Adelaide, Jack Martin at Carlton as a couple of recent examples. So that's just an extra one to watch now that the West Coast have officially locked in that number one pick. So can we talk about Ben McKay now? Yeah. I want to save that to later because I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. All the talk, it, it's, it's been like, a fate complete, it feels like, the last two and a half months that he's going to Essendon. Yeah. Is, is, that, is that still on? I would have had Essendon as the favourite two or three weeks ago. I'd probably have them as the not the favourite now. That's just, just on conversations. Probably Sydney, again, this is, this is just my feel on the scenario. I'm not saying I've got any... Ben hasn't said to anyone exactly where he wants to go yet, apart from probably his manager, his his close-knit family and friends. But my view would be that Sydney and Hawthorne sit ahead of Essendon right now in the race with Ben McKay. I'm not saying they're out of the race, but I'm saying that that those those two are probably sitting ahead of Essendon right now, which would be a concern. If he doesn't go to Essendon, 
I'm really, really worried about their key backstocks. They're going to have to find something. Brandon Zerk Thatcher was thrown around this year by the key, the key talls. Jordan Ridley missed the last few games in the year. Their back line was exposed even further. I'm worried if Ben McKay doesn't choose Essendon. Again, just want to put it out there. I'm not saying they're out of the race. Just from what I've heard from a few people over the weekend, that the Essendon confidence isn't as high as what it was maybe two or three weeks ago. Wow, that's pretty significant. Like It's the first time I've ever heard Sydney mention with Mackay, but I guess missing out in Barras kind of makes sense. The Hawthorne thing is even – like it's another layer of fascination for me. Well, Hawthorne was reported last week. AFL.com reported that last week, and Sydney's been around for a little while since the Barras stuff. So oh, it's not like I'm bringing anything new to the table there, but – it's more that Sydney are in the window. Horse wants to go now. They think that that young list is ready to go. They're not ready to wait any longer. The buddy money comes off. I think things just might open up a little bit more for the Swans now. That's why they were so into Bra- into yeah Tom Brass. And then Hawthorne are keen for a key back. That, that's their, probably their number one priority, speaking to people at Hawthorne right now, that the key back is their, their number one priority. Savaradaglia, Ben Mackay, one of these guys, I think, uh, is their biggest, biggest issue right now. It would be... Without, without turning the knife with Essendon fans, because I know they've had a really tough couple of weeks, that that would be a real slap in the face if suddenly Hawthorne became mm. more of an attractive proposition than Essendon. I mean, they've just gutted the joint. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, and they're probably the best 16th place team ever to finish there. And, 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 you know, the other end of that stick would be what a coup for Sam Mitchell and Hawthorne, you know, if they were... If they were able to add another defensive layer to sit there with Sicily and allow him to play off like he does a little bit more. And, you know, you and I have talked about how Granger Barras hasn't worked out as a top 10 pick, but they threw him forward later, late in the year. And, you know, maybe he's found a new position. I don't know. I just, but yeah, if I'm an Essendon fan, I'm thinking shit, like this thing's been on for months and now we, now we might lose him. Yeah. I, I, I just think that, that, and we were, we were open to on this show about it. I think, Three or four weeks ago, everything was pointing towards Essendon, but now the other suitors in this race feel like they're a bit more into it as well. So, you know, I talk about Essendon being one component that maybe the confidence isn't there as much, but also it, it's because partly because of those other clubs at the end of the season. He's at his exit meeting today, being Tuesday as well. Um, best of my knowledge, he hasn't formally requested a move, but everyone at North expects that to come. The other suitors aren't out of that mix either. So, yeah, just just watching that one uh, with a bit of interest. And I'm with you. I think if Essendon were to miss him, uh, it would be a big concern. I just wonder what the last couple of, couple of weeks of Hawthorne season may have done to the psyche of a player like Ben Mackay or players they're chasing. Like, was probably the universal view in footy that they may have been three or four years off a few months ago. Now, with their last few weeks of the season, is that view that they might be able to get into finals within 18 months, two years? Yeah, well, it's just – it's. It, for me, it would just be an unbelievable story. And I know it's not all on the coach, but it feels like Sam Mitchell's had a fair bit to do with this, given his history at the club and, you know, the the, the messy departure of Alistair Clarkson. And, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm about to talk about North Melbourne's list build. And I just think that when we have more, the, the more examples we have of the teams that are willing to spend a little bit more time down the bottom and are not guaranteeing that success. And you see a team like Hawthorne who've what, won four flags in you know, a decade mm. and then are able to bounce this quickly under a new untried coach, having sacked one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time with a year left on his contract. Like, goodness gracious, what a, what a story that would be. Yeah, it feels like Hawthorne's just getting sort of started into its rebuild. It feels like North's been rebuilding for three or four years, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I, I don't think they're rebuilt. I, I think it's just started. 
but I'm, I'm happy to talk more about it when we get to it. Oh, well, should we go there now? Just the last one on the Mackay's, just on Brandon Zirk Thatcher. Again, I think the exit meetings have sort of happened at Essendon. He's going to go home to his family in South Australia over the next week or so and make a call. Again, similar to Mackay at North, I think the the feeling at Essendon now is that, that he's likely to request a trade, but we'll see where that falls over the next week or so. Take us into North. So, I, I again, I want to stress that I don't want our pod to become about us you know, just going through lists every week. And because list managers have one of the toughest jobs in footy, there's so much that goes into it. There's a thousand different moving parts. So it's easy for uh, you and I and people like us, Mitch, to just sit here and shit can list having spent two or three hours looking at it. So I don't want to do that, but it is fun. There was a bit of um, feedback. It is fun. Fair point. There was a fair bit of feedback um, from the stuff we did on the dogs last week. Mm. So, I just thought, given the interest about North Melbourne, where they're going to finish bottom, where they're just going to miss out, we do them again in, in a similar vein. Thank you to my research assistant, Dan, for helping me out with this because we went a little bit deep. Hang so, on. anyway. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You're sunning yourself in northern New South Wales and you've just um, subcontracted that out. What about Scotty, our producer? Was he consulted as part of this process? Or No, no this is, a, this is a, a personal investment of mine. I, my research assistant stays steers clear of any other potential conflicts, and behind any good Sam is an even better Dan. All Australians. I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was surprised. North Melbourne have one All-Australian on their list. He's 36 in his own stock golf team. Mm. That's that's an, an enormous first red flag for mine, for a team that yeah, I know that they're down the bottom of the ladder, but as I'll go through in a second, they've, they've been rebuilding for a while. I think they've got, and again, per, you know, this is just, my personal opinion. I think they have three genuine stars on their list. One is Luke Davis Uniac. Um, I still think he's a little bit inconsistent to be start talking about a, a, like a roll gold superstar like they are in the competition. Let's remember he's still yet to win a best and fairest. But I think that he's shown, particularly this year, particularly early in the year when they were when they were thriving. I think he's a game changer and a match winner, and I think he's a star. Jai Simpkins, a two time best and fairest winner. I don't think he gets support. It's that necessarily he deserves. I think if he was playing for a Carlton or a Collingwood or a, or a, or a Richmond, we'd talk, talk about him more. But I think inside and out, he's a really, really good player and I think he'd get a game at most teams. And Nick Larky, to finish third in the Coleman medal, mm. um, oh, I just think is, a, is an unbelievable result. Don't listen to the people that say it's easier kicking goals when you're the only bloke that can kick him in a bad team. It's a shit argument. It, it's it, He's just been a, a star and he was taken late in the draft. So, you know, a really good find from North Melbourne's list management team. But when you've got one All-Australian who's about to retire and only three stars on your list, I think it makes it really hard. Now, I could add Cheezel and Wardlaw onto that list, Mitch, but it would just be unfair because, you know, I talked about the Dogs last week and I added Jamara and Sam Darcy as extras. Um, and these guys have just finished their first year of AFL footy. So do I think Cheezel and Wardlaw are both going to be stars at the competition? Yes, I do, but we're trying not to predict as much as we can. Um, so they're first-year players. Um, then you've got Phillips, who was a pick three, who they would love to have in that um, that section. He's had two, two bouts of glandular fever. He hasn't dominated when he's come on and, and played. Obviously, the jury's still out. I'd love to see him with a couple of pre-seasons under his belt. Um, but, you know, taking him um, with the pick before Logan McDonald, it just, it's always going to mm. gonna be hard for him. So jury's still out. Um, then you've got two in the maybe column, and I mean maybes in maybe could be stars. Taron Thomas, um, we know that there's a whole history with him on and off the field. Um, and then Cam Zerha, who I'm not really sure where his best position is. 
But I've walked away from games being like, shit, that guy can play. Right? And they can do things that lots of others can't. But again, and maybe it's because of the position he's playing. Maybe it's because he hasn't got stars around him. He's, he's not a star at the moment. I don't think many people would disagree with that, but he's a maybe. Then you've got the likes of, of Cunnington and Zeeble, who both would have been um, throughout their career um, labelled as stars at some point in their career, both retiring. And your man, Ben Mackay, we still think whether it's Essendon or, or, or not, he's, he's still probably leaving. Um, they've got four guys on their list who were first-round draft picks from other clubs. Um, Bonner from GWS, Logue obviously from Frio, Aiden Call was pick 14 for Greater Western Sydney and Stevenson was a pick six at Collingwood. But in all four of those examples, guys that were shipped out really because of um, salary cap reasons and North Melbourne was the right fit for them at the time. But I don't think um, any of those four blokes right now, even though they were first-round draft picks, so whether they were thought of as future stars, would call themselves stars right now. North Melbourne would consider them of that. So I had to dig a little bit deeper into this than I did with the Western Bulldogs because I'm thinking, okay, like if they've only got three stars on their list and they've been down the bottom for the time that they have been, where have they gone wrong? And again, I, I don't like as an exercise going through drafts and saying, oh, well, he should have picked been picked there and they, they needed this bloke here and they should have picked him there. It's easier to do in hindsight, right? Like yeah. Everyone would pick the best players in hindsight. We get that. But I just want North Melbourne fans that are listening to try to understand, like I gathered an understanding today of where it has gone wrong. So I went back to 2017. That's a, a fair portion of time ago. You know, we're talking like six years. I thought, okay, who are the guys that they've hit on? So like Luke Davis Uniac, 2007, we're talking first round draft picks here. LDU in 2017 is a hit, Right. Taron Thomas is probably a hit, given we know his, ta- his talent levels, but for different circumstances, it hasn't quite worked out. But asterisk next to him, it still could. That's not on the recruiters, Taron Thomas. That's on everything that's happened after. I think they've identified a, a good talent, part of their academy. Yes, the bid may have come earlier than what they were expecting, but he's a talented player and they, they moved for him and got him. Yeah, and you take him. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. 2019, they traded pick eight to Melbourne for an extra fu- uh, future first round. I think, was that the Luke Jackson stuff or was it? Cosy Pickett. Cosy Pickett. Yeah, Cosy Pickett. Yeah, Cosy Pickett. So that was part of that. So, so they end up taking Phillips and Powell as two first round picks the next year in 2020. And again, neither of those guys have come on the way that they they'd want to. Um, Jason Horn Francis in 2021, pick one. We know what happened there. And then 2022, Sheezel and Wardlord look like good picks, but you know that they're, they're they're babies. And then you think, okay, well, so where is it that they haven't been able to find their next? spine from, right? And then I had a look at their their second round picks. And you, you tell me, Mitch, it's in the same period of time, which of these guys, Alistair Clarkson, would be locking in as certain starters if fit and available for round one, 2024. You, you tell me, and it's a genuine question. Will Walker, Charlie Combin, Jack Marnie, Flynn Perez, then you get into Lazaro, Spicer, Goda, Curtis, Bergman. Of that list, Curtis stands out to me. I think he's got a good talent as a small forward. He's in my best 22. Um, Goder and Bergman have shown enough to to persist with. I don't know if they're, they're walk-ups to your 22 with everything that happened in the off-season to come. Uh, Charlie Combin's body's let him down. He's going to have a big off-season. They're going to he's shift him. He's been injured, him. so put a, put a line through him because that's yep. not fair. He's been, he barely had a chance. A couple of those guys you mentioned earlier, I think Will Walker off the top of my head, he's no longer on the list. So, yep. so can I just, again... I, I don't want to be disrespectful here. I'm just trying to give people an understanding. The people picked directly after Will Walker in the second round of 2017. Is it literally in order? T- 
Tim Kelly, Noah Bolter, Liam Ryan, Brent Daniels, Sam Taylor, Charlie Spargo, Tom DeConing, Bailey Fritch. That's a fair list. Like, fuck. You yeah. know, like, they're good players. And this isn't me sitting here saying North Melbourne have, have failed their supporters and they had it. What I'm saying is because of where they were on the ladder, right, and because the arse fell out of it with the whole Brad Scott thing and they, they, they peaked and they'd gotten two consecutive prelims out of not that great a list, which is a really good result, and then Brad Scott had a disagreement with the board about they need to go back to go forward, all that sort of stuff. What it does, Mitch, is it puts its extreme pressure on your list manager and your recruiters to nail these picks. You know, like I had a – that whole 2017 um, era – like I could talk about how Carlton missed three top ten picks in a row. Petrisky, Seaton, Dow, and O'Brien. Yeah. Like one of them's playing VFL, the other one's at another club barely getting a game, and the other one's only in the team because, you know, they've had lots of injuries and may leave at the end of the year anyway. But the difference is the previous year they, they traded that they drafted Jacob Wiedering and Harry Mackay, and the years after they got Walsh and Kerno. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, they were already in the midst of 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 drafting their spine. So I think for me, and go back to what I said a little bit earlier in the pod, I look at North and I'm thinking, you you guys have got to give Clarko heaps of time. If you think that halfway through next year, you're going to be going back up the ladder, it's it's not going to be because you've got the list. Like, Sheasel and Wardlaw will be better, but they're still second round, uh, second year players. You're probably going to have two top three picks. That's great, but how much can you expect from them? I don't know where their spine's coming coming from. I don't know who's going to help Larky kick goals. I don't know who's going to be defending for the next year if Mackay's not there. I, I just think they've got a long, long road ahead. Yeah, I think and it's, it's a good breakdown. I'm with you. I think they've they've built from the midfield out, and they, that was synonymous with that pick when they went for Will Phillips over Logan McDonald. That was the big conjecture item at the time. They went for the midfield. They felt that they could build from the midfield and go out and then target key position players later on or through free agency, and that's where you find yourself right now. The ironic part of this is they put a lot of effort and time into Ben Mackay. Clarko's been on record of that in the last week, saying that they gave up a lot for him. They put eight years' development into him. He's had his own injury setbacks with his body. He's just coming right now, and he's about to walk out the door. That's why they feel – and the the pick will be reflective of the contract he gets at his new club, but that's why they feel he should be a a top-five selection as part of that. The ironic part of this for me is that after everything they've put into this side in terms of picks and the early selections, they get a guy who's finished third in the Coleman medal with 70 goals, the first player to kick 70 for the footy club this century in Nick Larkey at pick 73. Like that's a that's a diamond in the rough if ever, if ever there's been one. So I think that I'm with you. Their big concern going forward will be, I think their midfield set, their flankers are set. Those midfield guys will naturally be able to push out into wings and, and flanks. But it's the key positions at either end. Apart from Nick Larkey, what else is there? Just a couple other names. Like I'm with you on the, the Tom Powell, Will Phillips. That'll be, you know, in the next two or three years, decisive on what happens with those guys. Plus there's a guy, we mentioned Paul Curtis, but a guy, Braden George, who they took last year, coming off an ACL, was seen as a top 20 type of type of player. He was taken at 26. Big watch on him. I think he's got the X factor to be there. But again, injury riddled. We haven't seen him yet at any significant level. So, yeah, it's a it's a big watch in terms of where the goals are coming from, apart from Larky and, and how they're going to stop them at the other end. They may need to. And Clark has got history in this space of going to, you know, defensive guys like Michael Hartley 
um, at Hawthorne, Kyle Hardigan. You know, do they go with a Lewis Malikin at Sydney? Do they go with an Adam Tomlinson at Melbourne? Do they go with a, a Tom Cleary who's out of favour at Port Adelaide? There's just a watch now. Clarko's got history in this space. Does he go for the 26 to 30-year-old key back, which he's done in the past? Now, just while we're in the topic of talking clubs, I just want to have a look at Essendon. Crushed out, horror last fortnight of the season. And I want to base it around this comment from Brad Scott speaking post-game on what they need to do this off-season in relation to their list. I will just always look to keep improving, you know, the list. But, you know, the again, recency bias is a real thing. Like, if, if we performed really well the last two weeks and just missed out in the finals, the risk is everyone thinks, are oh, we going OK? Um, and potentially we don't make the hard decisions that we need to. Um, you know, n- now that the hard decisions become easier, now what, what that means in terms of list management... It's too early to tell, but yeah, we're, we're certainly in a in a in a very very strong position in terms of list management to be able to improve our list. Yeah, fascinating. I, I was I was watching that up here at the time, Mitch, and I uh, I think I messaged you immediately and was like, well, what what does he mean by that? Because there was we know that Brad Scott can be ruthless, and I think that's exactly what Essendon need right now. But was he talking about? Part of me was thinking, okay, is he? Is he going to offer up, you know, senior players for for trade and fast track it that way, or was he talking about TPP and available cash, or maybe both? For me, that that just spoke of of TPP. Every rival club you speak to talks about Essendon having among the top three teams in the competition in terms of cap space. So that's where we spoke last week about the Gresham approach. Do they go that way, given the free agent's not going to cost them anything in, in draft assets? That's why the Ben Mackay interest has been there and they've been long-time suited for him. I'm looking at that and thinking they don't have any other draft assets on top of their, their standard first-round pick this year and their second-round pick. So it's not as if they're, they're armed like the, the Bulldogs are with off the Dunkley deal, you know, Melbourne off the back of Jackson. It's not like they've got extra draft picks to work with. It's purely salary cap for me there. So... Other clubs are the belief that Essendon has the chance to, to go bang with it with a few free agents this offseason. Now, that could all change if Darcy Parrish was to leave. But for me, that comment from Brad Scott was purely salary cap related. Just on Parrish, we heard him speak yesterday in terms of him wanting to stay still, still very much on that path, still waiting to see that signature hit paper. We spoke a few weeks ago on this show, Sam, about the uptick in terms of the CBA. I just want to flesh that out a bit more. So let's say Darcy Parrish and the, the market probably, I know you'll probably have a bit of conjecture with this. The market probably says he's, let's say $700,000 a season to stay at the Bombers. Where do I sign? Right Where now, sign? the fact that the haggling and the fact that Essendon don't want to put in the, the CBA uprise, that could, could cost Darcy Parrish $100,000 a season. Now that's, that's a significant portion of a contract and I can understand why he's haggling over that right now. Most people think the CBA is going to rise between 10 to 20% initially straight up when the new deal comes in. The agents had another conference today. All agents were at a conference in Melbourne um, speaking Tuesday. There's still none the wiser exactly when the CBA is going to fall. I think it's hit a bit of a sticking point now. Had been on the right patch track, but it's now still in a holding pattern. If that goes up by 10 to 20% and Darcy Parrish is on a contract of $700,000 a season, that's seventy dollars to $140,000 a season that he may be leaving on the table if Essendon don't commit to that uptick. So that's a significant portion of his contract. What I have also learned during the week is we've spoken about Essendon being a little bit reticent in committing to all CBA uprises in their contract when it comes to deals. The other club that often comes up in this space is West Coast. Now, the ironic part of this is that West Coast's head of footy and the man who did a lot of their dealings before last year, Craig Vozzo, 
He was a long-time head of footy, moved into the general counsel role, had a lot of off-field power at the Eagles, now CEO at the Bombers. So you can see how when it comes to speaking to different list managers and, and managers in the competition of players, that Eagles and Bombers are the two come up that come up about not committing to that CBA jump. And now the CEO of the Bombers is the ex-footy boss of the Eagles. It's just an interesting part of all this as to, to why this parish negotiation is taking as long as it is. But why why not commit? That's a genuine question. Like what's what, what wouldn't it just make you wouldn't it decrease immediately your your leverage versus rivals if you're one of the few clubs in the comp that won't agree to it? Well not every player in the competition has it. So it's not like a blanket rule at the other sixteen clubs. It's it's often left for the for the stars of the competition and you know, so a lot of the recent contracts have it, giving the, the looming CBA negotiation. All I'd say from West Coast and Essendon's point of view to play devil's advocate is it just gives them more flexibility. It, it gives them. No, I know it helps the club. I know it helps the club. But how do you sell it to a parish and be like, we actually want to pay you less? Well, maybe the maybe the the, the conversation goes something like, well, Darcy, we think you're worth seven hundred thousand dollars in the open market. We're not going to commit to this, but we're going to give you seven forty, or, or, or sort of meet halfway. That's where that's where negotiations would fall. You know, you might throw in the extra clause around the all Australian or BNF finishes as part of it. But yeah, it's just a it's an interesting subplot to everything going on with Parish. Oh, very. We've spoken about Zerk Thatcher likely to leave, and now their list. The next the next six weeks is going to tell a lot in terms of where Essendon goes with the salary cap room with the free agents. I just look at their list strategy. Going back to the end of 2017, they went and got Smith, Saad, and then Shield a little after that. Their list strategy has flipped and flopped a lot in the last six years. They were all in chasing those guys for a finals tilt. It was around the time they were playing finals. Then only a couple of years later, Saad and Danaher leave. They're left armed with three first-round picks as part of that year, and they go young again. So I'm really keen to see where West, where, sorry, where Essendon's this strategy goes this offseason. Brad Scott's got a full summer to work on that. Um, we all know about the the power of Adrian Dodoro may have shifted given Craig Vozzo's involvement as CEO. Brad Scott's a very hands-on coach in a bit of more of an overarching position, maybe than what Ben Rutten was. So I'm really fascinated to see what the next... This is going to be Brad's list. That he yeah. Does. I'm really keen to see what the next six weeks looks like. Which takes us to nuts and bolts. I've been looking forward to this for all 25 weeks of the season. We're finally here. It took you to get some sun on your back and to get out of Victoria to put some time into it. Take us through this. Okay, so Joe Danner leaving Essendon, it was a false dawn trying to get to Sydney and then eventually get to Brisbane. So hang on tight, Mitch, because there's a, there's a bit of a roller coaster ride. I'm going to take you through it as quickly as I can without uh, missing any of the, the key detail. So hang with me here. August 5, 2019. Story breaks back page of The Age, which says that Tom Harley, CEO of the Sydney Swans, has met at his home in Balmain, which is one of the salubrious sort of the Turax or Brightons of Sydney, uh, with Joe Danaher, an old friend for their time at the AIS. Now, the story comes out the day before the CEOs meet at Mitchelton Winery in the Gamby, which has been happening for a while. Now, just to give you the layers, as we often do in this pod, the Bombers Chief Executive, Xavier Campbell, Sydney Chief Executive, as I mentioned, Tom Hartley, two of the young, up-and-coming, highly regarded club CEOs that um, a lot of people would think of as both uh, as both of them um, potential uh, replacements for Gillan McLaughlin in a few years' time. But that's, you know, half a decade down the track. But the point that I'm making there is that, you know, both trying to make their mark and neither would want to be seen losing a fight. So 
every single party involved in this is management, Essendon, Sydney, all tonight. Nothing to see here. They're just old mates catching up. In fact, the day after, on the Tuesday, John Longmire had a press conference and he said this. Look, I don't know all the details, to be honest. It was just a catch up with Tom Harley, who was a mentor of his in the AIS. Joe was up here, as I understand it, um, seeing a surgeon. So they just caught up for coffees. I think you're allowed to in this industry catch up with people from other clubs. There's, I love I love horse and the media. I, <laughs> I, I love it because he knows he knows how to use them and he knows when to just call out or, or just say it's, it's all complete rubbish. Now, remind me at the end, Mitch, to come back to John Longmire because okay. he is the reason that we call the whiteboard the whiteboard on this pod. And I'll, and I'll tell you why a little bit after. I don't even know if I've told you that story um, off air, but we'll come back to that. So the whole thing about Dan Hur was that, oh, he was just up there because he was seeing a surgeon about his grind. You know, he's a free agent at the end of next year, so no, nothing would happen this year anyway. Why would he move? The background to that, Mitch, he signed a, th- uh, a three-year contract extension in, in early 2017. He was going to be out of contract at the end of that year. Xavier Campbell was the key guy behind that contract extension. It was a three-year deal worth a tick over two million bucks. So it was a it was a big, big contract. And the first year that contract went went swimmingly. 2017, he kicked 65 goals. His name is All Australian Full Forward, and he looks like he's going to be the next big thing since Wayne Carey. Really, he was the goal kicking machine, and um, he, he he was loved by um, every. Essendon person, he was the face of the club in so many ways. And how old was he at that stage? Like, he's pretty young, 23 at that stage. He's 23. So he was going to take the, the competition by storm for the next decade. And to be honest, at the end of 2017, no one was, was questioning that. Now, when we think about this interest from Sydney, you've got to remember that 10 years prior to all of, all of this, John Longmire was actually involved in that original pitch from the Sydney Swans who tried to entice Joe to pick Sydney over Essendon. Now, a lot of people our age, that being early early 30s or younger, would actually um, forget that his, Joe's dad, Anthony, played 115 games for Sydney before being squeezed out cash-wise, and that's the only reason he ended up lobbying at Essendon. So there was while this sort of story was, was bubbling along, it was interesting to hear that you know former Essendon players and also Essendon um, former uh, Essendon greats and, and people involved with the club still kind of felt like there was this ownership over Joe and people at Sydney were quietly sniggering at that, being like, you know, we had the Danos first. You know, it's only because Anthony left and that's why Joe had a decision, but Joe obviously picked, um, picked Essendon. So the, the point of, of this for me that, that the story changed was that it became evident to me working at, um, in the background was that Joe's management, he's managed by TLA at the time, didn't really know that he was meeting with Tom Harley. Right. Now, Essendon CEO Xavier Campbell came out a few days after and said, I, I'd spoken to Joe beforehand. I knew that he was going to meet Tom. I'm not positive that's true. I think that that was a little bit of brand protect, protection from Essendon. And what I did find out as a fact is that his management didn't know. So to catch up with a mate who was an old friend from the AIS is one thing. But, you know, let's remember that, Joe, after kicking those 65 goals in 2017, had really struggled with his body since then. He played seven games in 2018. He only played four games in 2019. And we're talking about late in the season when he was already out for the concert. He played 11 games in two years. He's meeting with the head of football, which Tom was at the time, at a club where his dad played over 100 games and he's about to be out of contract. Like, it was just 
there were too many things that were adding up for it not to be a story. But it was denied, it was denied, it was denied. People laughed at it. And two months to the day after the story came out, October 5, 2019, two days after the Essendon Best and Ferris, Joe Danaher requests a trade. Essendon released a statement the next day um, from Adrian Dodoro. Um, we understand he's, he's requested a trade, but he's a required player. And if we don't get the deal that we want, we expect Joe to turn up day one of preseason next year. They always say that, right? They always say that. It's never going to come to it. Sydney's final offer, I'm, I'm cutting to the chase um, and not going through the trade period day by day. Sydney's final offer and best offer was pick nine and their future first. Now, you've got to remember here, they didn't actually have pick nine. They had pick five, but they were going to get pick nine from Carlton for Tom Papley. Yep. So that was a side deal that was going on at the time of the moment. But Carlton were waiting on the Danaher thing for that to go through. So Sydney were actually offering a pick that they didn't have at the time, which has added another layer of fascination to it. Um, Essendon said that they actually wanted players. Um, they were offered Papley, didn't want him. They were offered Zach Jones, didn't want him. They wanted Isaac Heaney or Nick Blakey. Well, they're not going to get either of those two guys, right? You've got to remember, Joe's played 11 games in the last two years. Yes, he's 25. Yes, he was an All-Australian full forward, but it's been a long time between drinks. Listen. So pick nine and a future first. Two first-round picks for a guy that hadn't played much, for me, represented pretty good value. But Essendon, held that, that true to their word, they held their ground. They said, no, we don't want to do that. So he stays in 2020. The Essendon fraternity goes, well, beating their chest, yeah, you know, buggy you, Sydney, we kept him. But it wasn't much of a romantic decision in the end. He only plays four more games. He plays his first game back not until round 14 against Hawthorne. He had 14 disposals and kicks three. You might remember he got interviewed on the ground after the game and said something to the effect of, you know, just be good to, to, to build more with this footy club. And it was reported the next day, of course he's going to stay. Why would he leave now? Blah, 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 blah. He only plays three more games for Essendon, doesn't kick another goal for the club. Gets reported later in the year that the Brisbane have been circling. I don't want to get too much into the nitty-gritty of this, otherwise nuts and bolts will go for it. An hour. Um, the Lions offer him, which you've talked about on this pod before, a big money three-year deal as a restricted free agent because he's obviously at the end of that contract now, so he's a restricted free agent. Um, the Bombers don't match because they know it's going to end up with them getting pick seven and then the three guys that you talked about, about a little bit earlier um, with their list strategy flip-flopping, they end up drafting Cox, Perkins and Reed with those three picks inside 10. So they end up knocking back two first-round picks for a guy that plays four more games and instead of ending up with pick nine and a future first, they end up with just pick seven. So, you know, they took 40% less a year later. It was just the wrong decision. They needed to cut and run. And for me, it was just another example, uh, a little bit like I've talked about with Lockie Neal and Fremantle, is that when you're not fully aware of people being unhappy at your footy club and they start talking to other, other clubs, this is the stuff that, that happens. And whether they're contracted or not, you can lose control of your list management strategy really quickly. Um, I think they should have let him go earlier. Um, he's now a better than two goal a game player at at Brisbane, which given that he spent some time in the ruck, it's just a, it's an amazing bit of business for the Lions. You know, they've gone from watching a club fail to give two first round picks for him for getting him for nothing. I mean, it's just an amazing bit of business for Brisbane. And if they end up winning the flag this year or, or next, you know, we'll we'll go back to that Danaher deal and how much. He's helped him. But just to finish off nuts and bolts, I knew you were going to remind me anyway, but I got there. The whiteboard. Oh. So John Longwire coming out the next day and shit-tanning the story and say, hey, I think it's okay if two people in the industry have a coffee together. So it got put to me. 
Now, I've never, I've never actually fact-checked this right, but given where it's come from, I'm pretty confident. It got put to me after the trade period that John Longmire actually, for the 2019 year, I don't know if he still has it, has a whiteboard. One of his whiteboards in his office at Sydney has like a little towel over the right-hand corner and the towel underneath the towel are trade targets and one of them, a player walked in. I won't mention who the player was because he's still there. And Horse said, come have a look here. Come have a look. Just, just lifted up the towel a little bit and there's Joe Danaher's name on it. Like and that. then it gets reported. It's like, no, it's just two blokes having coffee, isn't it? Like, come on. <laughs> I just think... I think John Longmire is a master at utilising the media because he knows when to get a point across. He knows when to have fun. He knows when to be serious. Uh, I just think he's he's the master. But but that that's the reason that we've ended up calling the whiteboard segment what it is. Maybe I might need to bring a towel in for mine just to have a little sneaky one heading into October. Yeah, well, I don't care. I don't care who's on your whiteboard. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's not just- a competition, bitch. Just two things to pull out of that. Do you think with the maturity now, we've learned more about free agency in the last three years that with the pre-agency that we've spoken about a few times, that the contract coming a year out before free agency, that the Bombers would have done that deal now as opposed to maybe three, four years ago when it happened? It's a great question. I mean, people at the time accused the Bombers of being, you know, bloody-minded or recalcitrant or, you know, whatever whatever you want to say about them. I, I just, I think sometimes clubs don't have the ruthless business edge that they sometimes need to. And I think if Joe Danaher's name was Joe Bloggs, who didn't have the, the family history at the club, I think they would have traded him for, I mean, to be honest, Mitch, again, easy in hindsight, a bloke who hasn't played for two years, basically, and you're being offered two mm. first-round picks, and mm. he's come to you and said, I want to go. I think you just, I think you just do it and you just move on. That. It didn't help anyone him staying for an extra year. I mean, for goodness sake, he played four more games. Yeah. Um, ironically, has barely missed a game. Yeah. Since he's been, since he's come to Brisbane, so whatever the doctors are doing up there, they've uh, they've clearly got something in the water. But no, I, I just think, I just think they should have done it. And now, earlier. and now, Tom Papley is an All Australian for for Sydney. So uh, there's the other the other factor and all of that as well, which is uh, quite humorous. All right, get us in, get involved. Put, put, put Tom Papley in Carlton's forward line now and tell mm-hmm. me that they're not premiership favourites. Get involved at Tradies Podcast, TikTok, Instagram, at Tradies Podcast. You can have your say on on a nuts and bolts you'd like to be discussed heading into finals. Now, Sam, I've got a list of 22 players that I've put together from the finals teams. I was going to name it tonight. Players, 22 of them playing above their contract, who I think would shake and contend for a flag. I'm going to hold that off for a week, and uh, we'll bring it out next week, next week heading into the, the first round of finals, given what the buy this week. So something to look sorry, forward to. Sorry, you're saying that you've put together a, a cheap 22. I put together a team of 22 that I think could win the flag using just over $6.5 million which is less than half of the AFL salary cap. Keen to get your take on this team. So it's a bargain's been 22. Yeah, it's 22 players all playing above their contract heading into the 2023 final series. Did, did Channel 7 not give you enough work to do? Or? No, it's just a little, uh, little side project. Before we go, we've gone uh, well over time. Micro Mitch has gone, has gone to a new level. Yeah, I've just if you're doing that sort of stuff. had a bit of spare time, uh, trimmed the front lawn now and, and uh, thought had a few other things uh, to work on. Movies. I, I wasn't going to forget. Have you got something for me to, to watch over the next week before you get back? Yes, I do. But I'm not absolutely positive of – I always have to have a few in reserve because I, I never know how many you've seen. Have you seen the movie Training Day? No. 
Oh wow, uh, you're in, you're in for a treat. And apologies to Kate again. It's not it's not the lightest of movies. Okay. Um, Training Day. I won't give you a big um, sell because it doesn't need it. It's Denzel Washington in an Oscar winning role. Right. And Ethan Hawke. Denzel plays a narcotics detective in Los Angeles, and uh, Ethan Hawke is basically um, this young cop coming up through the ranks that is trying to get into his narcotics unit and in order to do so he has to spend a day with Denzel it's got everything it's got LA it's got gangsters it's got corruption it's got great acting it's got a, a young director who um, is bursting onto the scene is about to go on and do great things it's it's one of the all-time great movies does it disturb you that that's the first time I've ever heard the name Ethan Hawke you're you're not serious. You're oh, I am 100% dead set serious. That name has never once registered my, in my brain. You have never heard of the actor Ethan Hawke. That is correct. Oh, my goodness. Ethan, if you're listening or if, if someone in the States who's a big tradies listener <laughs> is, is sending this to you, I just, my name is Sam. I apologise on behalf of me and my co-host. That's, that's embarrassing. That's like I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think what a good – comparison that would be give me an Ethan Hawke comparison in AFL terms that's the one thing I'm, I know <laughs> uh, Ethan Hawke in AFL terms okay so he's a guy that was a gun for a long time but will never be regarded as one of the all-time greats because his movie choices weren't amazing and he probably had limited capacity to be a front man in the big films Nigel Lappin at Brisbane yeah that's not bad I feel like Nigel Lappin was a better footballer than Ethan Hawke is an actor, but it's still right. pretty good. All right. Well, if you're like me and you need to Google that name, after you've done that, don't forget to follow Tradies on Spotify or iHeart or subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Sam, enjoy the rest of your couple of days up there and look forward to seeing you back in the A studio when we get back in there next week. Thank you for listening to another Producey podcast. If you enjoyed the show, it would be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, subscribe, tap the bell, leave a review, or even share it with your friends. So if you want to get in touch, share feedback, suggestions, or to advertise with one of our podcasts, then simply email hello at com. Thanks for tuning in.